Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. I want you to grab your Bibles and go to the book of Acts chapter 20. I mean, chapter 27. Go to Acts chapter 27. On the way there, why don't you look at the person sitting next to you and tell them you look phenomenal this morning. Come on. Smile at somebody in the chats. Let us know where you're watching from, who you're with. In fact, I want you to do something. Look at the person on the opposite end and tell them you're looking at a very good-looking person this morning. Come on. Speak it into existence. Some self-confidence there. Come on. Anybody look good this morning? Believe it by faith. Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. I love to see Lucho and Eileen here in the front row. Two of the best leaders we have. They're absolutely amazing. A beautiful family. Acts chapter 27. Uh, Just to explain to you a little bit about what's going on. uh, Remember, if you remember the last five weeks, we've been talking about uh, how the church started. Paul went on three missionary journeys. After his third one, he knew he wanted to go to Rome and God was going to send him to Rome to testify in what was known back then as the capital of the world. Rome was the center of the world at that time. And Paul's like, if I just make it there, I'll preach the gospel to whoever, whomever, and I'll make the gospel known in the biggest city of the world at that time. And we're picking it up on his way there. As he's going to Rome, a storm breaks out. He jumps on a boat, a storm breaks out. That's where we're picking it up in verse 18. If you're there, Can you say amen? It says, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the first day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you could have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage. Come on, that's a word for somebody. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Today, as we finish the book of Acts, I want to talk to you on Paul's final travel to Rome from this topic, shake it off, shake it off. Storms, shipwrecks, and snakes. Shake it off. Storms, shipwrecks, and snakes. I want you to slap three people around you and tell them, shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. (laughs) We're gonna pray, we're gonna talk about Paul's journey and what we can learn from it, all of us. um, Let's talk about this maybe for the next 25 minutes. Then we're going to worship one more time. 
we're going to pray and believe that God wants to heal some people in here this morning. Amen. Come on. He loves you. He's for you. And thank God that we have a God that does care about us. And I believe that today people are leaving out of here different than how you came in. And then we're going to go home, have an awesome lunch, finally see the Dolphins win, and have an incredible week. Amen? Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy. Thank you for the book of Acts. It's been so refreshing the past six weeks to see how your church started, your apostles, your disciples, how they carried out the gospel. And today we continue on with the heritage of faith. God, we pray that you would speak to us today. Those of us here and those of us watching from home and the office, wherever we're at, Calvary Church Online. Thank you. One church, multiple locations today. Thank you. Speak to us. Thank you for loving people like us. We love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And all of God's people say. Oh, come on. All of God's people say. Can you make some noise for Jesus one more time? Come on. I heard a story of uh, a king who decided to hold a painting contest for the people of his town. He wanted a painting that reflected perfect peace. All the painters, all the creators, all the artists of the town started submitting their paintings. And as they submitted their paintings, two finally made the final cut to be presented before the king. One day they're in the court. It's the big reveal of the final two paintings. The king steps in and they unveil the first painting. And the first painting was a beautiful, calm, serene lake surrounded by mountains and the lake reflected the mountains. There was a beautiful, colorful sunset, beautiful blue clouds. I mean, this painting was incredible. The crowd gasped, <gasps> beautiful. Surely they thought that's the winner of the perfect painting of peace. They move on to the second one. The king asked for the second one to be unveiled. They unveiled the second painting and it's a dark painting. There's dark clouds. In the background, there's lightning. There's a massive waterfall, and it's not a peaceful waterfall. It's crashing down, and you can tell from the painting it's splashing everywhere. You almost get the sense from the painting that there's wind and there's rain. This is a dark, gloomy painting. People were befuddled, bewildered. How is this a painting of peace? As the king looked closer, he saw that in one of the trees on the foreground, there was this bird underneath a leaf. And it had built a nest, and it was perfectly laying down on top of the eggs. And it looked, he said, it radiated perfect peace to him. Because perfect peace is not good circumstances. Perfect peace is internal peace when everything's going wrong. I want to tell you this morning, peace is not based on circumstances. Peace is based on internal convictions. How many know you can be surrounded by bad weather and yet still not confounded or given into, surrendered to that chaos around your life? The problem that happens is that we allow exterior crisis and it turns into interior chaos. 
We allow everything that's happening around us to get inside us. Now the chaos that I'm fronting, now this happening around me has gotten into my soul, has gotten into my heart, has gotten into my mind. I have no peace. I can't sleep because life has gotten hectic. I don't know what sleep is. I don't know what faith is. I've lost it all. I feel hopeless because everything around me is chaotic. But the Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. So peace is not what you see peace is what you believe in the middle of the circumstances breaking loose are you with me this morning some of us today here online you're up against the storms you're up against some things that are raging against your life and you're saying I have no peace you've allowed what's on the exterior to get on the interior I was at a car wash years ago with my nephews. They were small. I think they had never gone to a car wash. Isn't it crazy? When we were young, we used to love car washes. Now that we're old, I can't wait to get out of there. My nephews were like, this is amazing. All the water and all the soap and all the heat that is coming at the fans, right? And they couldn't believe that it was not getting inside the car because all of the windows were fastly secured all the way to the top. And so nothing that was happening on the outside was getting on the inside. Try going through a car wash with your windows down. You're going to be washed entirely inside and outside. You got to keep those windows up and say, no matter what's around me, I'm not going to let it get inside me. Can I get an amen? And so some of you, you may be here today in the morning and you're saying, Alex, I've let it get inside my heart and my soul. Today I feel hopeless. Today I feel faithless. Today I'm not worshiping the same. I don't feel the same. I feel like my faith has gotten down because you've allowed the toxic things around your life. There's some negative people around your life. There's some pessimistic people around your life. They have no faith. They have no hope. And all they do is come with that negative talk, come with that faithless talk. And I don't know how you're going to survive out of that one. And I don't know if your God is really real and I don't know how you're going to pay the rent child you better move on I don't know how you're giving tithes on a Sunday morning and I don't know why you worship God and waste your time I don't know how you serve on treaty sometimes you need to kick some people out for a season and say I need some people with faith around me I'm not letting you get in my circle I'm not letting you get in my ear I need some people full of faith around me I need some people that got a word from God around my life I'm not letting what's on the outside get on the inside are you with me I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> we allow what's on the outside. Anybody, anybody been around some toxic, negative, faithless people? There's some people that don't even believe in electricity if it shocked them. Negative outlook on life and just this like pessimistic, like, ah, oh, we're praying. Well, I don't know, prayer works. <laughs> and if we're not careful, that'll get inside of our soul. And all of a sudden, we start doubting. All of a sudden, some days will go by, some weeks will go by, and you're like, yeah, I don't even know if I should serve today. I don't even know if I should go to church this Sunday morning. I want you to know, no matter what happens on the outside, you were built to sustain the storms of life. I was actually reading about ships. When they are engineered, when they are built, when they are constructed, they are built so that they will not sink in any water. A boat is not supposed to sink. The way they're engineered, especially nowadays, is so that they can even go through storms and not go under. The problem is not the water around them. The problem is when the water gets inside of them. One author said this, all the water in the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. If an engineer 
can build a boat that can go through any kind of water, how much more has our God engineered us, built us, built our soul, built our heart, given us promises? If a boat can withstand a storm, I'm here to tell you, you can make it to the other side. Don't let the water on the outside get on the inside. You are resilient. Be determined. Come on, I wish I had five people that say, my God is for me, my God is with me, and this he's for me, nothing can stand against me all the days of my life life. I'll make it through the storm in the name of Jesus. Tell somebody, shake it off. In fact, I put it this way today. You can be surrounded by trouble, yet stable in peace. Or you can be surrounded on trouble on every side, yet you remain stable and in peace. Be resilient this morning. I know you're up against impossibilities, but my God, he's the God of the impossible. I know you're, the, you're up against storms, but my God, he calms the storms with one word. Today, you can be surrounded yet stable. Can I get an amen? amen. The book of Acts has been full of drama. <laughs> if you mix six parts, you got to catch up with the whole series. This is better than any Netflix. This is better than any binge watching you've done this week. This is better than any of those crazy episodes. What are they called? You know about them. <laughs> Binge watch on the book of Acts. Talk about it. it's been action. First couple of chapters, we see how the church came alive. Jesus died, resurrected. He hangs out with them. Acts 1 and 2 is like phenomenal. Jesus then ascends to the Father in front of all of them. The Holy Spirit comes down, empowers them. Chapters 3 and on, we see the church begin to move. Like they just begin to move. They begin to help out the community. They begin to help out the widows, the orphans. They begin to preach the gospel all over the place. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. Then we see how Paul now becomes a leader of a church, how he goes from Saul to Paul. God kicks him off of his high horse, high horse of pride, high horse of title, high horse of righteousness. Come on, sometimes God needs to kick us off our high horses. Somebody like, "Mm -mm -mm -mm." he'll kick you off your high horse. He becomes Paul, and he gets saved by Jesus, and now he becomes the leader, basically, of the church. He goes on one journey, and he goes preaching the gospel for about two and a half years. Then he comes back to Antioch. He goes on a second journey. We talked all about that, where he ends up in prison. Then we see he finally goes on a third missionary journey. One time he's preaching. There's a young man named Eutychus who falls asleep because he's not paying attention. He revives him, comes back to life, and finally... Paul makes his way back home to Antioch, which is now the center of the church. And after some time, he's like, I know I got to go back to Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, I'm finally going to Rome. He had his eye, thoughts, prayers on Rome. He knew he would get to Rome. He's like, if I can just get to Rome, the capital of the known world right now, I'll preach the gospel there. And I'll make sure everybody knows that Jesus is the answer. As he's getting ready to go down to Jerusalem to prepare to go to Rome... They tell him, don't go. If you go to Jerusalem, you will be arrested. You might even die. And Paul says something so incredible. He says, this life is worth nothing to me. My life is worth nothing to me except to make him known. What he values is important, and he gives all of his time and attention to what he values. We spoke about this on Wednesday night at DNA night, that what you value will be shown. This life, my life, 
It's worth nothing except to make him known and preach to him. What do you value in your life? Some of us, we say we value our spouse, yet we give more of our time to ESPN. You value what you give time and attention to. Some of us say we value family and we value our kids, yet we put more time and attention into our business than we do our family. Hello. I love my kids. You're never with them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of us say we love building the church of God, yet you spend more money at Chili's and at Denny's than you do investing into the kingdom of God. Are we stepping on too much toes? Come on, let's continue stepping on them. I'm stepping on my own. Come on. What do you value in your life? What you value, check your checkbook and it'll show you what you value. I didn't know I value Starbucks this much. I should be an investor. I'm a top investor in Starbucks, right? But yet we value building churches. We value building lives. We value our spouses. But check your life. What are you giving the most time to, the most energy to, all of your resources, all of your finances to? What is valuable to you, you will give it all your attention. I love you, boo-boo. The last date you went on was 15 years ago to Whataburger. (laughs) What do you value in your life? Paul says, I value preaching the gospel. My life is worth nothing. I don't even care about clothes, cars, houses. Nothing was as important as preaching the gospel to Paul. Some of us, we need to check what we value this week. And say, what's on my list of priorities? And he doesn't care. He goes to Jerusalem and surely he ends up getting arrested and bound and tried. There's actually a plot to kill Paul. 40 plus men make a plan to kill him. They hate him for preaching the gospel. His nephew finds out, has to tell a city official. They have to sneak him away by night off to a city called Caesarea. Caesarea is a city right by the ocean. It's an absolute beautiful city. And in Caesarea, he spends two years as a prisoner. Here Paul is trying to get to Rome, yet he's detained for two years. God, you told me you were going to send me to Rome, and here I am locked up for two years. Not two months, not two weeks, not two minutes, two years. Has God ever promised you something and it's taken years instead of months? How many of us would give up if something took two years? God, I've been praying for a husband. It's been two and a half weeks. Not one profile click on Christian Mingle. Uh, God, you're not the God of promises. God, I thought you were giving me a job. It's been two months and I still don't have no job. God, you told me you would take away this bondage, this addiction, this sickness, but it's been two years. Paul has a promise and he's holding on even though it's been two plus years. When you know you're God, you don't give up in spite of the time because you know that even though it's delayed, it doesn't mean it's denied. I trust my God and it may be delayed, but he hasn't denied me because he's not a liar and he's not about to start lying to me now. Come on, anybody trust a faithful God? If he said it, it will happen. And for two years, he's locked up. Like, God, I was supposed to be in Rome preaching to little Caesar. I'm supposed to be over there preaching to God. You got me in a prison for two years. Some of you right now are locked up in a situation you think you're never going to get out of. Can you keep the faith in spite of being in a prison? Show up in church and saying, God, when are you finally going to answer this prayer request? He might have already answered it, and you don't like the answer. Or he may have you in a season of waiting. After two years, it's a long story. you got to read it. It's absolutely amazing. He appeals to Caesar. He says, I'm a Roman citizen. I shouldn't be tried here. I should be tried in Italy. 
And so they finally put him in a boat after two years and they sent him off to Rome. Paul is finally going to Rome. He's dreaming of pasta carbonara. <laughs> dreaming of some good pasta. And I can't wait to preach the gospel in Italy. It's been crazy. I've been arrested. There's been a plot to kill me. I've been in prison for two years. Like Paul has been through hell and back. And he's finally on a boat on the way to Rome. On the way to Rome, he tells them, I don't think we should sail this way. We should wait here for a couple days. They don't listen to him. And a hurricane comes out. A hurricane. After two years in a prison, you finally get me in a boat, God. And a hurricane has to happen. You ever felt like life got that way? Like I've been waiting for two years and after two years, a hurricane breaks loose in my life. Like are you, God, are you playing games? I think God hates me. I think God hates me. Like I would be at that point, I'd be like, God, you don't love me. Like are you saying a hurricane breaks loose in my life? The Bible says that the, the, it started to rage on the boat. It was crazy. It was, the storm was called the Northeaster. Not Wilma, not any of these cute names. The Northeaster. It was battering the boat. Everybody's going crazy. Storms happen in life. And what we have to learn from Paul, what we have to learn from the book of uh, from Acts, is that there's always growth in a storm. Growth in the storm. Number one, there's growth in the storm. Storms will happen in life. Right, like sometimes we can get a heads up that a storm is coming. Sometimes you may try to get in your car and escape, go to Orlando or Jacksonville, like I'm escaping this storm. Other storms, you won't be able to evade them. You could just withstand them. Storms will happen in life. There's a certainty of storms. It's not will storms happen. It's when they happen, are you ready for the storms of your life? Now, some of us could pray and say, God, I pray you never send me a storm. I never want to go through that one storm in my life. Please, God, I want it to be a good life, a good, easy life. God, I know you love me. God, let it be a good life. I don't know who prays like that, but I just. <laughs> but I love this saying, smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to 80, 90 years old and not know what it is to lead through a storm. Not know what it is to stand in a storm where my faith has been tested, my faith has been tried, and I withstood the storms of life. Today, if you're going through a storm, I want to tell you, they will happen, but there's growth in a storm. You can become a leader in a storm. You can become a better man and woman of God in the storms of life, not in the mountaintops of life. In fact, in a storm... The word of God, what it is, thank you, Vlad, it's an awesome umbrella. That's what the storms are. The storms will happen, but if you have a word from God, it will keep you even in the middle of a storm. It may be raining all around me, and the wind may be picking up. I may be even getting wet. You ever gotten wet with an umbrella? Like, this thing doesn't work. Like, I'm going to just put, you ever got a wet? You may even get wet. But there's a word that assures you, you're protected even in the middle of a storm. Before he got on the boat, before the hurricane happened, before he was locked up for two years. I'm talking about you go back, back, back. Back to Acts chapter 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. Somebody say courage. Take courage, for as you've testified to facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The Lord had told them, just like you have been testifying about me in Jerusalem, you must, you must, you must, 
You must do it in Rome. God, but I'm going to jail for two years, but I gave you a word before those two years. God, but I've been locked up for two years, but I gave you a word that you will make it to Rome. God, but I got on a boat, and as soon as I got on a boat, I got with a bunch of ignorant people that didn't want to listen to me, and now we got a hurricane upon, but I gave you a word, and my word is better than the storm above you. Let the word shelter you. Let the word keep you. Let the word be an umbrella. If you're in the middle of a storm, you need a word for your storm that will keep you in all hell. It's breaking loose. Tell somebody next to you, shake it off. Get a word over your life. If you don't got a word for your life, get a word today. Get a promise. John said 7,000 promises. He counted them. Get one for your life. There's a word for your life. Get a promise for your life. So when the finances hit the fan, the Lord said he's my provider. So when sickness breaks out, the Lord said he's a healer. So when your family's going crazy and you lose your spouse and your kids look demon-possessed, the Bible says, me and my house will serve the Lord. I got a promise. It's like an umbrella. I know it's raining. I know the wind is picking up, but I got an umbrella for any weather. Come on. I'm growing through the storm. I love Isaiah. Isaiah 25, verse 4. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to those needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. I got a shelter and I got a shade. He never promised it wasn't going to rain. He never promised there wouldn't be no storms. He promised he'll be with you in the storm. It's raining. Some of you right now, it's raining. You can hear the big old raindrops on the umbrella. You can feel the wind. Hold on to that word. Paul had a word. I'm going to Rome. He told me in Jerusalem, before I got on this boat, before you ignorant fools didn't listen to me. He gave me a word. The storm also came to reveal who he was. A crisis doesn't build your character, but a crisis will reveal your character. Who are you? It'll show when you go through crisis. What are you made of? It'll show when you go through storms. Paul stood up as a leader. So I told, if you would have listened to me, didn't I tell you what was going to happen? If you would have listened to me, we never would have been in the storm. But since you ain't listened to me, Paul all of a sudden became the leader of the ship. He said, I'm the captain now. That was corny. <laughs> the storms in your life will show your leadership, your character, your giftings, your anointing. Don't evade them, grow through them. God made me a better man. God made me a stronger man. I'm not going to complain about the very same storm you're using to grow me. Have you been complaining on the way to Rome when you got a word for your soul? But sometimes God would allow the storm to pick up. Sometimes we go from storms to shipwrecks. The Bible says it keeps pouring down. And the Bible says that finally the, the ship runs into the ground. Thank you, Black. The ship runs into the ground. And the waves begin to crash on this boat that's now stuck in the ground. And the boat starts to fall apart. You ever felt like life was falling apart? Like one thing is to go through a storm. Another thing is to go through a shipwreck. Oh, I know. Look at you praising because you got some rain. My whole boat is destroyed. 
tough. Paul had a word from God that he would get to Rome, but yet in the middle of the storm, the boat falls apart. Sometimes God will allow things in your life to fall apart to show he's the only one you got and he's the only one you need. There's growth in the storms, but number two, there's revelation in the shipwreck. See, sometimes God, all he'll do is allow you to just hang on to a piece of wood. The Bible says the boat broke apart in pieces. In fact, one guard said, let's kill all the prisoners, 276 of them. Let's kill them all because if any of them escapes, we dead. (laughs) Paul stood up and says, no, everybody's going to make it. Everybody's going to be alive. Nobody's going to escape. Again, the leader, the character of a man of God. And so look what happens. Acts 27, verse 43 and 44. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. The rest were hanging on to a piece of the ship and just floating on the water. The waves crashing on them, but that's all they had to hang on to. Sometimes God will allow things to break off in your life. In fact, I'll say it this way. Sometimes things need to break off in our life. And we're complaining and it feels like we're drowning in the middle of the water, in the middle of the storm. And all God is trying to do is tell you you didn't need that friendship to begin with. You didn't need that relationship to begin with. Can I get an amen? Sometimes you'll break all kind of ships off your life, relationships, friendships, because the only ship that can save you wasn't the boat to begin with. It was the word of heaven that told you you were going to get to Rome. Can I tell you there's a word over your life that when everything else breaks loose, you just got to hang on to that word. And God, he loves using broken things. In fact, we'll, we'll grab broken things and throw them away. God will break them before he uses them. And for God, in order for you to use you mightily, sometimes he needs to break you deeply. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Today, you're hanging on to something that's broken. God, you're all I have right now. My finances are out. I'm on the other side of a divorce. I'm in the middle of a sickness, God. And God's like, I'm all you need. You've been hanging on to the wrong things. We've been hanging on to finances. We've been hanging on to friendships. We've been hanging on to relationships, thinking this ship is the one that will save me. He's saying, you're the only, I'm the only one you need. I'm the only one you need. No other boat can save you. On the way to Rome, no other boat will save you. On the road to your destiny, it is not money that will save you. It is not friends that will save you. It's only Jesus Christ. And sometimes he'll leave you holding on to a plank and remind you that the one who died on the plank on the tree is the only one that can save humanity from sin. Let that plank remind you. He died for you. He resurrected. He's got you. In fact, you can be broken, but yet be blessed. The Bible says they, they ended up in an island called Malta. Somebody say Malta. People are like, I drink that. No, Malta. No, it's not different. Different. <laughs> Thank you, Black. Malta was not a cruise destination. Like Malta was this weird small island on the way to Rome. The boat breaks apart. Some of them swim to the island. Some of them are hanging on to a piece of wood so they can finally make it on the island, Malta. Malta was actually full, in the Greek it says barbarians. In other words, they were literally cannibals. Now, if I'm Paul, I'm like first two years in prison. Then you send the northeastern hurricane. Then my, bro- my boat break- breaks apart. Now you got me with cannibals, 
on an island. I'll quit ministry. I say, I'm not going to Rome. Forget Caesar. He can stay with his pizza. I'm going back home. Like, how many of us have given up when life gets tough? God, I want to serve you, but you should see my team lead. He is annoying. I can't stand him. I tried to join the host team, but the minute I opened up the door for somebody, they rolled their eyes as they were walking into church. Like, I, they ain't like the way I opened the door. God, I'm not going to serve you anymore. I try to go to kids' ministry and serve, but those kids are demon-possessed. I don't know what happened. God, I'm quitting the minute. I tried to park cars. One of them almost ran over me, honking the horn, didn't put a turn signal. It's my end. You're complaining because the road is difficult, but the road to destiny will be full of challenges, storms, and shipwrecks to make you better, to make you stronger. God wants to shape you into a man and a woman of God. Don't complain in Malta. Keep serving in Malta. Paul never complained. He gets to Malta and in Malta they're building a fire. The Bible says that the barbarians were kind to him. God will use the least likely people to show you grace. They're building a fire and Paul's like, let me help. Some of us stopped serving because life got difficult. I stopped going to connect group. I went, didn't even have chicken wings or coffee. I'm not going to connect group. I stopped going to church. I stopped giving because I didn't like the way the church was going. As if we do it for man, we do it for God. Paul picks up sticks and he's building a fire in Malta. Because you can be broken, but still be a blessing. There's growth in the storms. There's revelation in the shipwreck. Paul's building the fire and as he goes to put sticks in the fire... Bible says in Acts chapter 28, the final chapter of the book we've been reading, a snake comes out and bites him in the hand. God, I love you, but I'll quit there. Now, like I'll, I don't need a boat. Give me that plank. I'm swimming back to Jerusalem. Like prison in two years, a hurricane breaks out storm over my life a shipwreck now a snake the bible says it was a viper a venomous snake and it bites them in the hand but i tell you sometimes life will strike you and venom will try to get inside your soul and notice that the enemy always loves to strike where god wants to use you the most the snake bit paul in the hand that was the same hand that he used to worship his god that was the same hand he was using to write letters to the church. That was the same hand that he was using to serve barbarians. What snake bit your hand that you stopped worshiping? What snake bit your hand that you stopped putting your hands on the plow and building his kingdom? What hand is injured? What hand today are you saying, I stopped. I stopped serving my family. I stopped being a blessing to my community. I stopped being part of Dream Team because the snake bit me right where God wanted to use me. Some of you let an offense stop you from serving. Some of you let an injury stop you from serving God. I've been offended. I've been hurt. I got this addiction. A snake bit me in the hand. First a storm, then a shipwreck, then a snake. Now when the snake bites him, the Bible says that the whole island is watching him. They're like, oh, a viper. And you know what they start saying? We knew he was a murderer. People are fickle. One day they'll like you, the next day they'll try to crucify you. You're my best friend until you go through a storm and a shipwreck. And they'll say, I don't know you. You used to follow me, then you unfollowed me. You used to like my pose, now you don't like them no more. 
You used to be part of the church. Now you're not part of the church anymore. You used to pray for me. Now you hate on me. Because people are envious. People love to see you fail. That's why you need to get a good group of people around you that love you, that'll pray for you. The Bible said it wasn't just any snake bite, by the way. It was hanging onto his hand. That little vicious demon. There was a snake. It bit him and it was hanging on to him. And everybody thought the venom would kill him within seconds. It was supposed to. And the Bible says that Paul looks at the snake and shakes it back into the fire. He shook it off of him. By the way, notice that when he got close to the fire is when the snake comes out. When you get closer to God, it's usually when snakes come out in your life because they don't want to see you around revival. They don't want to see your life change. They don't want you to around the Holy Spirit. That's when every demon will come out. That's when every backbiter will come out. That's when all the trouble comes out. But if a snake has bitten you, I want to tell you today, shake it off. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been offended. I know you've been injured. But today you need to grab that snake and you need to shake it off back into the fire. I'm not going to let that snake kill me. I'm not going to let that snake stop me. I want to tell you, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. There was growth in the storms. There was revelation in the shipwreck. Number three, and finally, there is strength in the snake bite. He gets bit by the snake. He shakes it off. Nothing happened to Paul. He sat down and drank his soup. Good soup. The Bible then says that they say, he must be a God. You were just saying I was a murderer. Now you're saying I'm a God. Don't trust on people's validation of you. Don't wait for people to validate your calling. Don't wait for people to validate your anointing. Don't wait for people to validate your miracle. God said it. That's more than enough. Walk in your calling. Walk in what God has given you. Don't wait for somebody to authorize it. You've been called by God. The Bible says, this is a movie. The Bible says, three days later on the island, they got to wait. There's no boat. Three days later on the island, Paul's like nothing. All he has is a scar of the snake fire. Three days later, the island governor official, his name is Plubius. If you're pregnant today, Plubius for your son. <laughs> the Bible says, Plubia's dad is sick. And people have been bringing sick people to Paul. And so Paul's like, let's go visit your dad. Read it, chapter 28, it's amazing. And the Bible says that Paul goes. And the Bible says that when he gets to Plubia's dad's house, he stretches out his hand, prays over the father, and he gets healed. Wait a minute. The same hand that the snake bit is the same hand that God uses to heal somebody else. Oh, come on, somebody. There's a snake that has bit you and there's venom that wants to take you out. But the same place that the snake bit you is the same place that God is going to use so that he gets all the glory, so that he gets all the honor. That snake of abuse, that snake of addiction, that snake of bondage, that snake of sickness, that snake that wanted to take you out. God's going to use it so that you heal somebody. Are you with me? Come on, somebody. Oh, what meant to kill me only made me stronger. Come on, somebody. Say, say shake it off. Come on, somebody. Shake it off. Three days later, he stretched out his hand and the dead became healed. You wanted to stop me? You wanted to kill me? But the scar is only a reminder 
that he gets all the glory in my life. Come on, there's people in here this morning. There's a scar in your life. There's a snake hanging off your head. Don't let the storm, the shipwreck, or the snake stop you. Shake it off in the name of Jesus. Three days later, reminds me of another man that wanted to be taken down by another serpent. The Bible says that over 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus. He walked around the earth for 33 and a half years. He wasn't just a teacher or a prophet. He was all in one. And the Bible says that on the last day of his life, a serpent came and bits him on his heel symbolically, meaning death. The greatest serpent of all, the final serpent, bit his heel and it meant to kill him. But all he had was a word from God. He remembers at the beginning that his father spoke a word in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that the snake would bite his heel but he would crush the head. The Bible says that he died and he went into a grave. And the Bible says that after three days, come on, the stone had to be rolled away and up came Jesus out of that grave. He's alive. He's a healer. He's a savior. The serpent did not win. Come on, somebody, lift up your hands. We're leaving in just a moment. Every eye closed, every head bowed. You can stay right where you are. We're leaving in just one moment. If you're here today and you say, Alex, I don't have a relationship with God. If you're here today and you say, I feel far from God. I feel distant from God. I want to tell you, the Bible says all of us were sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We've all sinned. We've all failed. But the Bible says God so loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus came and he grabbed all of my sins, your sins. The Bible says he put him on his shoulders, carried the sins of the world on his shoulders. He went up on a cross, and the Bible says that he died for every single one of us. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, in a moment of prayer, in a moment of privacy. If you're here today or if you're watching and you say, Alex, I need forgiveness. Alex, I need Jesus. Today, I want a brand new beginning. I want a relationship with this God. If that's you at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand as high as you can, as high as you can, as high as you can. God bless you. 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 God bless you and you and you. God bless you. God bless you. Amazing. Amazing. If you're watching online and you're making that decision, let us know in the chats. Come on, with every eye closed, every head bowed, let's say this prayer together. If you didn't raise your hand, just say this prayer with me. If you're saying, I need Jesus today, I need salvation. In fact, the whole church, one big family, one voice, let's say it together. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. That you died for my sins and on the third day, you resurrected. Tell him, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my savior. From today on, I'm healed and I'm saved. In Jesus' name, amen. time as we leave next week when the devil comes knocking don't miss it if you still need prayer make your way up here we got pastors and leaders up here we're gonna pray come on let's lift up our hands and we're gonna sing this song again father we thank you we love you thank you for this time together thank you for your holy spirit god continue to free continue to open up eyes move in our midst thank you that you are the healer thank you that you've given us the victory thank you that there is none like you you are the angel